Well, good evening, guys. Are you guys excited to be here? Woo! It seems like it. Do you guys believe that God is going to speak to us tonight? Same here. Okay, so there I was. Story time with Sean, all right? There I was. I'm 20 years old, all right? Just some of you guys are 20. And I am madly in love with my spicy Latina girlfriend, right? Her name is Heather. She is now my wife, so it worked out. Um, I am a 20-year-old, and I am frantically, frantically making a picnic basket not making the picnic basket, filling the picnic basket, trying to make this food. I'm like rushing around because I had this great idea that I was going to surprise Heather at the camp she worked at with this surprise dinner, okay? The reason that I was frantically running behind was because I had just spent the earlier part of the weekend at my parents' lake house, okay? And two of my best friends were there, a guy named Trevor and our very own Charles Sombrio, all right? They were there. Guys, we were, having the, we were having a blast. We were jet skiing. We were tubing. We were fishing. Like, we're literally just hanging out. My parents are there. It, everything was like free food. I mean, just, it was awesome, okay? We're having a little too much fun. So I've got to go back. I've got to make, I don't even remember what I made. Was it like grilled cheese or something? I don't really know. I made something. So I'm like rushing to make the food. I've got like, um, I, I, because I'm fancy, I bought glass bottles of Dr. Pepper. Oh, romantic, right? So I put them, I'm like stuffing them in my styrofoam cooler, and I like, I'm like throwing stuff in my car. Well, not throwing, I'm like belting it in because I don't want it to, you know, tumble. And luckily, Charles and Trevor had drove their own car. So I'm pretty much just like, guys, I'm already so far behind. Y'all can, you can say bye to my mom and dad. I'm out, right? And I literally, it was like a 45-minute drive. I had like 30 minutes to get there. So, so what do you guys think that I did? I sped. And what do you think happened? I got pulled over. I got pulled over like not even five minutes after leaving. I was just like, oh, no, are you serious? And so, man, I'm just like, look, I know. Like, I, I'm... I, there's no talk. There's no like, no, sir, I didn't know. Like, I knew that I had gone. Right? So this cop pulls up, and he, he, speed was not of the essence for him. So he's like sauntering up, you know, like, and he's like, he's a good man. I, he, he's a cop. I like cops. But he walks up, and he says, all right, son, do you know what was, do you know what, why I'm pulling you over? And I said, yes, sir, I was speeding because I'm on my way to a date with my girlfriend. And he kind of like, I don't think he was expecting me to just outright admit that, yes, I am wrong. Please get this over with, right? And so he's a little taken aback. He's like, have you been drinking, son? I was speeding on the 4th of July. So, it, I mean, cops are out everywhere, right? Like, it, I, it was my own fault, right? So he's like, are you drinking? I said, no, sir, I'm not drinking. I just realized I was speeding, and I'm, I'm really late. And so he's kind of a little, like, like, you know, gruff and kind of annoyed and so he's like taking my information and he, you know, he's at the window and he kind of looks in the back seat and he sees the cooler and he goes, are you sure you aren't drinking, son? I'm going to need you to step out of the car and reveal the contents of your cooler to me. I'm like, oh my gosh, dude, I just, just give me my ticket. And so I get out and it's like public humiliation, like side of the highway, vroom, vroom, you know, everyone and I get my cooler out, and he says, Are you, there, is there alcohol in there? I said, no, sir, it's four glass Dr. Pe Pepper bottles. He says, oh, uh -huh, sure. And so I open it, and he looks. And he just looks at me. He goes, I'm going to write you a ticket. I'll be back. <laughs> and I was like, I didn't lie to you, dude. The worst part about this whole story, I'm on the side of the highway, and I just hear, uh, 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 yeah as Charles and Trevor <laughs> drive by. And they are cheering for me. And it was like 10 minutes later, like, oh, by the way, are you good? I'm like, thanks, guys. Thank you. Thank you. How many of you guys have ever been pulled over? I know Joel has. Okay. For speeding, right? And you got a ticket? Okay. How many of you have never been pulled over and gotten a ticket? Okay, you're either very lucky or you are a rule follower, right? Let's go, you're a rule follower. Okay, actually, by show of hands, okay, by show of hands, who 
is a rule follower? Not just speeding tickets, but just in general, who's a rule follower? Okay, if, if you're a rule follower, raise your hands high. Raise them high. Look at that. You guys are rule followers. You listened to me when I told you to raise your hand higher. <laughs> gotcha. Okay, Charlie, you are not a rule follower, so put your hand up for this next one. Raise your hand if you are like a rule breaker. Like rules were like, they're just suggestions. There we go. Some rules, rules are suggestions kind of people. There's like, okay, there's like a middle ground too that's like rule bender where it's like, like some things are like, yes, this is, I'm not going to do this. But then other, like here's an example, okay? If you ever see a sign that says do not enter, who is opening the door and it, looking in or walking around? Like who's, who's, who's going in or at least peeking their head in or like employees only, okay? Some people, who is like, like maybe, maybe you're not going in, yeah, like you're just kind of like, I wonder what's in there, right? Like some of you guys like that. Who are the people that you could live the rest of your life and that door will forever be a mystery? And if, if you're actually, if your rule-breaking friends look in, it kind of gives you a little bit of anxiety. You're like, don't tell me what's in there. You can't be in there. Like, you're like looking over your shoulder. Who's that? Right? Okay, cool. You guys are rule followers, right? Okay, so look, whether you're a rule follower, whether you're a rule breaker, whether you're kind of in that gray middle, I'm not here to tell you which is right, okay? You can, everyone who thinks their way is the right way, that's fine. I'm not here to tell you that. But what I am here to tell you guys tonight is that I want every single one of you guys to leave this room as a troublemaker, okay? Oh, scary. Okay, it sounds funny, but I, my hope for tonight is that when you leave this room, when you walk out those doors in the back, you will walk out of here as a troublemaker. You're going to make all kinds of trouble. So what do I mean by this, okay? What do I mean by this? I mean exactly what I'm saying. I want you to be troublemakers. I want you to be one for the rest of your life. I'm not asking you to go and speed. I'm not asking you to go break the law, okay? But I am asking you to be a troublemaker, and I actually believe that Jesus wants you to be one, too. It's okay. What's the catch? What am I, right? Like, what's the catch? It's this. I want you to be the right kind of troublemaker in the right way at the right time, okay? I want you to be the right kind of troublemaker in the right way and at the right time. So we're going to unpack this tonight, and we're going to be in one of my favorite stories in the Bible, um, we're not going to go through the whole story, but this, y'all, this is like one of the wildest stories in the Bible. Like, I, you should read it tonight before you go to bed. It's 1 Kings 18. Don't put it up yet. I'm going to give you a little backdrop, okay, because it's a long story. So we're just going to focus on one part. But, but what's going on in this story, this is the, ki the kingdom of Israel. This is God's chosen people. And so they've had a bunch of kings, and they've all... They've all really kind of sucked. And at this point, we've got, at the time, hands down, the worst king, King Ahab. Okay? He's this, this just awful, wicked man. He's got this evil, evil wife, Jezebel. I mean, it just sounds like a bad name, right? Jezebel. Ugh. Right? And so he, he is not worshiping God. He's worshiping pagan gods. He's worshiping Baal and Molech and all these, like, wicked, wicked um, false gods. And, and his favorite, actually one of his favorite pastimes is killing the prophets of the God of Israel. Like he, he, he makes sport out of killing prophets who tell him he can't be doing what he's doing, right? And so there is this, this severe drought that has come upon the land that God has brought about because of Ahab's wickedness, okay? And then out of nowhere, in the very beginning of uh, 1 Kings 18, it just says, Elijah the Tishbite, and you're like, where in the world was this guy before? It just, it just jumped. It's like, it's like you started a movie 45 minutes in. Elijah the Tishbite, he comes up, he shows up, he starts preaching and prophesying and speaking out against King Ahab. And King Ahab hates it. He is like, you are not going to tell me how to live my life, right? And so there's this moment where there's another prophet who is actually serving King Ahab. And he meets with Elijah. He, he really does love God. He's not, he's not sold out, but he somehow has this place where he's close to the king. And so Elijah and this other prophet are talking, and Elijah's like, all right, it's time. I'm going to go and meet with the king. And the other prophet's like, wait, what? And he's like, can you, go, can you go arrange a meeting? He says, look, he might kill me just for saying that you're alive. 
He might kill me just for saying that I met with you. And Elijah says, look, trust me. Go. The Lord's going to be in this. And so we pick up in verse 16, and it says this. So Obadiah, the other prophet, went to meet Ahab, and he told him about Elijah. And Ahab went to meet Elijah. When Ahab saw Elijah, he said to him, Is that you, you troubler of Israel? I have not made trouble for Israel, Elijah replied, but you and your father's family have. You have abandoned the Lord's commands and have followed the Baals. Jesus, would you just open our eyes and open our ears to hear, to to perceive God, to understand, and that our hearts would receive, God, what you want to do tonight, God. Reveal your word to us in Jesus' name. Amen. He says, is that you, you troubler of Israel? Ahab, this wicked king, points at the prophet of God and says, you are the troubler of Israel. And, and Elijah snaps back and he says, I have not made trouble, but you have made trouble for Israel. So now this, I mean, this, this huge thing that Obadiah is like, no, don't do it. I might die. Like it ultimately comes out to like, you're the bad guy. And it's like, no, you're the bad guy, right? Like, it kind of seems a little inconsequential. But guys, this confrontation, this, this confrontation was monumental, in fact. Um, on the one side, you have the king of Israel, right? Of God's chosen people, God's very own people. And he is supposed to be. His role as king is that he's supposed to lead these people ever closer to God, right? His role as king is to bring them to God, but he has instead led his people to moral, moral, spiritual, and even now physical ruin. Their lives are in shambles on every, every level, and it's because of this guy, right? And then on the other side, you have a prophet of God who is boldly obeying God, even at the potential cost of his life. And he's going to speak to a man who he knows has time and again killed other prophets who said the same thing he said, right? And so each man is standing there, and they're pointing their finger at the other, and they're saying, you are the one who is causing all the trouble. You are the one who is causing all the trouble. Ahab thinks that Elijah is to blame for this drought. He thinks Elijah just kind of did it in spite, that somehow Elijah just kind of magically conjured a drought, you know? And, and, and Elijah is saying, no, you're the one who caused this by your wickedness and your disobedience, right? And so for now in this moment, two of the most powerful men in Israel are standing before each other. Everyone knows Elijah. Everyone knows Ahab. And they're watching this like titanic confrontation. And both are saying, you are the troubler of Israel. But both men mean something far different than the other. Both men mean something far different than the other. Each man sees in the one the cause of Israel's trouble, but each man means something different. And so my hope tonight, like I said, is that you would embrace this role as a troublemaker. You will leave this room, and you will be a troubler of Israel. And so my question, my big question tonight is this. Will you be a troubler like Ahab, or will you be a troubler like Elijah? You will cause trouble to, to the life of people around you. It's, it's just a given. And we're going to kind of go through that. You'll see. But what matters most is what kind of trouble you're going to bring to people. And in what way and at what time. Will you be a troubler like Ahab? Or will you be a troubler like Israel? So look, we said we need to be the right kind of troublemaker in the right way and at the right time. So let's start with the first. What does it mean to be the right kind of troublemaker. What does it mean to be the right kind of troublemaker? So what did Ahab and Elijah really mean when they called each other this same word, right? This same word of, you are the troubler. What did they mean? Well, in short, Ahab, when he calls Elijah the troubler of Israel, he is saying pretty much, dude, you are spoiling all of our fun. You're just, you're ruining all of the fun. Stop telling us that we're wrong. We're just trying to have fun, right? He, he, Ahab is calling him the troubler of Israel because Elijah is calling out their sin and their selfishness, and he's bringing conviction in their hearts because of their wickedness. They just wanted to have fun. They wanted to do some crazy stuff. They wanted to make some good memories, but this prophet guy had to come in, had to start saying, pointing out that what they were doing wasn't okay, and he's ruining all the fun. He's causing a bunch of trouble to what we want to do. 
Now look, no one likes, does, does anyone actually like being told they're wrong? No. No, you don't. <laughs> okay, if you do, here, I, know, I thought about this. I was like, yeah, I, I do like knowing when I'm wrong, but never in the moment. After the fact, I'm actually grateful. But no one ever likes being told in the moment, hey, you're wrong. Like, right? We get defensive. And so what happens is we act like little children when someone says we're wrong, if there's no humility in our heart, whether, even if there is humility, something in us still wants to do this, right? Like, will you, will they, right? And we want to point the finger when someone points out and calls out, oh, we're wrong. And it's even more pronounced when we know that we're wrong, right? Like, it's, it's frustrating to be told you're wrong or you're, you know, something, but you weren't. But it's another thing to know that you are, and you just want to kind of blame shift, right? And so that's what Ahab does. That's what he does. He, he gets the finger pointed at him, he, he, and God puts the finger right on what's true. And Ahab turns around and somehow points at the godliest man and says, you're the one to blame. And guys, that's a, that's a pretty scary place to be. That's a scary place to be when you're pointing your finger at someone who is following and obeying God and saying, you're the issue. That's a scary place to be, and that's where Ahab is at. And I believe Ahab knew better, right? He, I, I really do believe he knew better because of the way he reacted, because of the fact that he keeps killing all these prophets. He knows without a shadow of a doubt he's not supposed to be living this way, and he keeps on doing it. And so he is a wicked man, he, and he is calling Elijah this troubler of his. You are making trouble for everyone. And so then on the other side, Ahab, or sorry, Elijah he is saying that Ahab is the troubler because he is leading God's people away from holiness and obedience and into wickedness and sin. Elijah calls Ahab the real troubler of Israel because of Ahab leading God's children into sin. Ahab had a responsibility as the king to lead his people under the greater authority of his king. Ahab had a responsibility to bring his people up under the tutelage of God's laws. And Ahab had a responsibility to see his people become holy in the sight of God and be a light to all of the nations. And Ahab was doing none of this. He had thrown it aside for his own selfish stuff. And he is this vile, wicked, sinful man because he's not just doing it. He's not just having fun for himself. He's actually encouraging and bringing along the entire people of God. It's not enough that he has his fun. He has to bring others with him. This is God's chosen people, the apple of his eye, and they are being destroyed by the man who is supposed to bring them close to him. Now I'll let you be the judge of that. Which one is right when they call the other the troubler? Which one is, which one is right, Elijah or Ahab? But let me ask you this. Are you an Ahab or are you an Elijah? Are you the right kind of troublemaker? Do you advance God's kingdom in other people's lives or do you trouble them and hold them back from what, good, what God desires for them? That's a big question. Do you, do you advance what God wants to do in someone's life or do you push them farther away from God? Do you ever think about the fact that the way you live your life really does affect the people you rub shoulders with? Are you ever thinking about, man, not just my friends in small group, but my classmates, my coworkers? Are you thinking about how your life really does affect other people? Do you ever think about the bigger picture? Are you thinking about people's future like Elijah was? Or are you just thinking about your own life, your own fun, your own kingdom like Ahab was regardless of who it hurts? Are you an Ahab kind of troublemaker, or are you an Elijah kind of troublemaker? So being the right kind of troublemaker naturally leads us to ask, what way should we be trouble, right? Okay, so if I'm, I'm, I want to be like Elijah. I want to be someone who does this, but, but what is the way? What does this look like, right? We must be the right kind of troublemaker, and we must do so in the right way. And so the reality of this text and the reality of Christianity as a whole is that you will be trouble, whether you want to be or not, whether you know it or not, whether this is the first time in your life you've ever heard something like this or not, you will be some kind of trouble to someone. You'll either cause trouble for the family of God by living in a way that leads people away from God, 
or you will cause trouble for the world and lost people by living in a way that makes them confront their sin and ask the deep questions that they keep wanting to push away. The reality of being a Christian is that you are a witness to the life of Jesus no matter what. And that might be really, really good or really, really bad, right? But if you say, hey, I am a Christian, I am God's son, I am God's daughter, then what that means is that wherever you go, you are reflecting and witnessing something about Jesus, right? And so, guys, this is like, <laughs> when I was thinking about this, like, this is equally the most exciting and honoring and, like, greatest privilege that God would say, like, hey, look, Jason, I'm going to let you be a representative of me. It's like, what? Like, you, that's incredible. And it's, at the exact same time, totally terrifying. Like, God, no. Like, couldn't you do something else? Like, why me, right? Like, it's, it's equally honoring, equally terrifying. And yet, what God says is that your life will witness to me. It will reflect me to the world. And that's either going to be really good or really bad. And can I tell you, Jesus talks about lukewarmness. He says, I'd rather you be hot or cold than lukewarm because I'm going to spit you out, right? A lukewarm life, a private Christianity, uh, well, me and God got this thing, but I don't really have to tell people. That actually witnesses too, and it's a negative witness, right? There's people, I mean, the saddest thing is to be six months into a friendship and someone go, wait, oh, you're a Christian? What? Like, what have I been doing with my life if I really love Jesus, right? Your life will be a witness. So I ask you this, what kind of witness of Jesus does your life show? What does the world see about Jesus when they, when they see your life? Do you live a holy life? Kind of like what Charles talked about last week. Are you walking on the narrow path? Does your life show that God is Lord of your life, that he's redeeming and purifying you? Do you live in a way that is different from people? Do you call other believers to holiness? Are you looking at your friends saying, hey man, you're better than this. Come on, look, you don't need to do this. Do you call out your brothers and sisters when they sin, and do you push them towards repentance and restoration? It's not, I mean, sometimes when our friends come to us and say, man, I just messed up, and we go, man, I love you. It's good enough that you just said something. And it is good that you said something, but do we push them towards restoration? Do we push them towards repentance? Is God's family better for what you add to it? You add a flavor to the, the melting pot of God's family. Is it a good flavor? Or on the flip side, do you challenge lost people on their sin? Do you ask lost friends why they do the things they do and who they do it for? Right? Are you just... Well, I was talking with one of my friends at church on Sunday, and he works in the marketplace, and he was saying that, I mean, his coworkers are just like, we, like they live for the weekend. And they hate work. And I said, you should just ask them why. Why do you look forward to the weekend so much? And I promise you, it's going to open conversation. I mean, why do, you, why do you hate work so much, and why do you look forward to Friday night and Saturday? It's going to reveal their heart. It's going to open doors, right? Do you ask your friends why they do the things they do and what they do it for? Do you get to the root issues of matters? Do you live in a way that Jesus would be proud of on our lost campus? Do you live in a way that Jesus would want to be represented? I know these are heavy questions, guys. But I, I just, your life will be a witness. If you call yourself a Christian... There's no escaping the fact, and it's not, it's, not, it's not meant to be a scary thing or a bad thing, but we need to recognize that, that the way we walk with Jesus is going to be seen, and it's going to be listened to, it's gonna be, and it's going to be processed, and, and, and someone's going to form a worldview about Jesus as they look at you. You can be a troubler in the way of Ahab, leading God's children away from the narrow path. Or you can be a troubler in the way of Elijah, shaking people awake, saying, I love you too much to let you stay here. And then linking arm in arm with them and walking on the narrow path with them. Right? Like, we can do this together. It's not like, like our witness, our life being a witness to Jesus should change people's lives for the better. I don't know about you guys, but I want to be a troubler in the way of Elijah. I want my life 
to shake some people and say, hey, look, there's a better way, right? So first, we need to be the right kind of troublemaker. Then we need to be a troublemaker in the right way. And finally, we need to be a troublemaker at the right time. So timing is key, all right? Timing is key. This is, um, I, I think, the, like, two biggest pitfalls I see when it comes to, like, our lives if we're, like, walking with God. And look, I, I'll say this real quick. If you're not a Christian, if you're in this room and you're not a Christian, like, Ahab wasn't a Christian, okay? Like, Ahab was not walking with God, and he still troubled the people of God. So it's not like only if you're a Christian you're going to, you know, either make someone's life better or not. Like, your life is going to, like, like if you're not walking with God, like, that's still monumental to, to, to the weight of ruining someone's life, right? Like, hopefully, we get this, we see this, right? So, okay, that was a side note. Sorry. So I think the two biggest pitfalls I see with this, especially if you're walking with God, is you either, like, what, what is the answer to every question about the Bible? Jesus, right? Like, that's everyone's quick answer. Like, but that, that's like number one pitfall is like you're talking to someone, you just met them at booth, and you're like, Jesus! And like you, yeah, I mean, I, and you kind of, it's like so awkward. It's like, cool, man. See you later. It's like, you want to get my number? It's like, no, I'm fine. Like, right? Like we jump way too quickly into it. Or the opposite is the one where it's like six months down the road. They're like, oh, you go to church? You're a Christian? It's like, dang it. Like, what have I been doing? Right? Like we either like don't have anything true to say we don't know how to to be so we just kind of blurt out or we say nothing maybe for the same reasons right and so what I want to do is I just want to tell you guys some stories some practical things that I've learned over the years about being a troublemaker and being a witness to Jesus right so that we don't fall in these pitfalls and so I'm going to go through them quickly but it's, it's, it's good like I, I, I this is just stuff the Lord has humbled me and taught me and so these are some practical on how to be a troublemaker in the right time. So the first thing I would say is this. When you witness, witness in word and deed. Okay, that's a, it's a Bible, it's like a KJV translation, word, deed, word and deed, what does that mean, right? Okay, so has anyone ever heard this quote? Preach the gospel and use words when necessary. That is stupid. I'm sorry if you like it. It's even stupider because some people say that that Francis of Assisi, he's this incredible, uh, like, Catholic monk that, I mean, the man was an incredible man of God. And they're like, oh, yeah, he's the one that said it. And it's like, have you ever, like, read his life? Like, this dude loved God and preached so much that he would preach to, like, birds as he walked by. Like, like if he's preaching to animals, you, do you think he was, like, using words? when Like, no. And so what I mean by this, guys— Colossians 3.17 says, whatever you do in word and deed, do for God. Most people, when they hear this, they go, I just need to, if I just live the right way, I'll just be a good person and people will see and they'll know that I am a Christian and my life will be changed, like, or their life will be changed. And they don't want to say anything, right? There's no words to back up and they just hope that your life somehow might reflect Jesus enough to change their life. Like, guys, the only time I've ever seen that happen is when people are, like, getting martyred, <laughs> when they're getting eaten alive by lions in a Roman Colosseum, when they're getting their head chopped off because they won't renounce Jesus. Like, like that's when your, like, life without words tends to mean something. But just walking on campus with your headphones in and, like, oh, I'm listening to worship music. I'm witnessing. Like, No. We need to say something. But then on the flip side, it's not enough to just say all the right things and not live. I know so many people that can say all the right things, and yet they are so far from God. And the way they live, I'm like, why would I ever want to be like you? You don't love God. You're, 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 you love your sin. You say all the right things, but you, like, it's word and deed. And I think one of the greatest compliments you can receive as a Christian is you really do live out what you say. I think that's one of the greatest compliments. If someone ever says that to me, I'm like, thank you, Jesus. I'm a man of my word. They know what I say, and they see how I live, and it matches. Be a witness in word and deed. The second thing, admit your weaknesses, but don't stay weak. The Bible says God uses the weak and foolish things to shame the strong and wise. Look, I can't tell you how many times someone, you're talking to someone, they ask a question about the Bible, 
They ask a question about God. They ask some question, and in your heart, you don't know. How many of you guys have ever just faked it? Oh, come on. You just kind of made up an answer? Yeah. You guys got caught in it at the last thing. I remember that. <laughs> Sorry. Um, didn't mean to put you on blast. Look, for real, maybe you didn't want to raise your hand, but, or maybe you just never had an answer. But more often than not, we try to just kind of, oh, well, you know, I mean, duh, duh, like G- Jesus died for you. And it's like, you didn't answer my question. Like, if you don't know, just in humility say, look, I walk with God, and I should know this, but I don't. But I'm going to figure it out. Right? Admit that you're shortcoming in that. Look, we don't, and there's a reality, we don't have every answer, and that's okay. But admit that you're weak, but don't stay weak. One of my friends, his name is Kyle, he was like the most avowed, smart atheist that you would ever meet. He, he literally read and studied the Bible to prove Christians wrong. He, his, his favorite thing was to make Christians cringe. Like he literally loved to make them kind of, okay, I'm leaving. And then he'd follow them and he'd keep pestering them, right? And he's doing this to who, the guy who inevitably became a smart group leader, and he's asking all these questions, and, he, and the guy actually has a lot of answers. And then he finally gets to, he's like, well, I've got, I've got the big question. He asks it, and he's like, he is ready for the fight. He's ready for the fakeness. And the guy who became a smart group goes, oh, I don't know. You want to figure it out? And he said he was, in all his life, he had never had a Christian just say, in, in humility, I don't know. Everyone always tried to fake their way through. And that actually broke something in his heart, and it led, ultimately, to him giving his life to the Lord. Sometimes it's okay to say, I don't know. That's the best thing. Maybe it actually really does. Don't stay there. But also think about the fact that if your answer is always, I don't know, then what would make someone want to believe in the Jesus if you know nothing about him? If your answer is always, I don't know, why would I want that, right? It's okay to admit your weaknesses, just don't stay there. Third thing, admit when you are wrong, then don't do it again, okay? As a Christian, you will still make mistakes. There's a story um, from my own life. I, when I used to work at WVU, like at the Davis College. Um, I was a glorified secretary. Humbling. Um, and I was tasked with updating everyone's computers. And so I'd come in early, and I was like, oh, I was just like checking off. I mean, it was like 40 or 50 computers. And so every, over a couple of weeks, I was updating them all. And so I come in a little early to update my coworker, Nikki, her computer. I don't have her calendar. I don't know what's going on. She comes in in a flurry, and she has this meeting. And her computer is in the middle of like update one of 400, you know, like, and she, she's like mad. And instantly, I'm like, yeah, I messed up. Like, I, didn't, I wasn't belligerent. I wasn't trying to, to, to hurt her, but I had made a mistake. And so you know what I did? I said, Nikki, I'm very sorry. I should have asked you. She's like, you should have. And uh, why did you do this? I'm like, Nikki, I'm really sorry. I, I should have asked you beforehand. I, I, I apologize. You could use my computer. And she's like, I'm, I'm mad. And I'm like, yes, I know. I'm really sorry. It was, honestly, it was kind of humorous. I was apologizing for what I had done wrong, and I was making no excuses. I didn't say, hey, you should have said, uh, you should, uh. I am, I was wrong. I'm sorry. And it was humorous because she didn't know what to do. Like, she, I think she was expecting a fight. And I just kept saying, I'm so sorry. I shouldn't have done that. What can I do to fix it? And, and it actually opened a door the conversation with her after the meeting was over. She was very angry for a little while, but it opened the door to conversation with her about the Lord because I responded in a way that no one else responded, right? Admit when you're wrong, don't do it again. Next thing, don't be ashamed. Romans 1, 16. Some of you guys love this. I am not ashamed of the gospel, right? Like that's that whole like the Christian rap group, 116, like that's their thing, right? I remember learning this the hard way um, there was this missions conference that we went to. I was a student, a first-year small group leader, and they have this huge, I mean, like, I mean, probably as big as the whole layer, just one flat floor, and it was this exhibit, and they made it feel like you were in, like, a Middle Eastern market, right? And, and it's, like, chaos, and people, there's perfumes, and they're trying to sell you food, and, and, it was, and it was actors and stuff, but when you were walking in the line, you had, like, a passport, and they would, like, you know, some people, they just let them go in. And then other people, for no reason, they just threw them in jail. 
Like, and then, and other people they interrogated or they cut. And so I get up to my line and I, they're like, passport. And so I like hand it to them and they look at it and they kind of start being like rude to me and, and I'm like freaking out. And then they just said, are you a Christian? We don't like Christians in this country. Are you a Christian? And I said, no. They said, you can come in. Guys, I didn't have fun for the rest of the day. It was, I, I literally answered no <laughs> to a fake situation so that I could go get a free bag. I can honestly say that from that time on, I've never said no. I've never been ashamed to say I'm a Christian. I learned the hard way. Don't be ashamed. Jesus has changed your life. Next thing, Timmy loves this. I literally put it in, and I thought about him the whole time. Break social norms. Break social norms. Interrupt people. Go to booth. Hey, what do you think about our question? Like, hey, yeah, and they have their headphones, and they're like, no, 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 what do you think? Like, you know, they take their, you know, and, man, like, Evan does this. Go up, hey, can I pray for you? Like, they're sitting and eating dinner. Like, <laughs> sure, I guess, you know, like, Interrupt people. Do something crazy. Talk about things that you aren't supposed to talk about. At Booth this past week, we were talking about where do morals come from. And long story short, I, using an example, I wasn't defending what was going on in the world one way or the other. Just kind of said, hey, look what's going on in the world. And after the conversation was over, this guy said, you can't talk about that stuff. I said, okay, I'm sorry. <laughs> Talk about the things you can't talk about. Talk about sex. Ask people questions about sex. Ask que people questions about money. Ask people questions about things that typically ruin their lives. Be break social norms. Do something. Change something. I can't tell you how many people's stories, their salvation, goes back to someone just interrupting them. Someone coming up and interrupting them at move-ins. Someone interrupting them at the layer. Someone interrupting them at with so many people, whether it be their salvation or real discipleship, is because someone broke a social norm. Next thing, ask questions. Questions break down someone's own worldview better than any argument you will ever prepare. Okay? Questions, you just keep asking good questions, and at a certain point people go, yeah, what I believe is kind of stupid. <laughs> like, or they just say, uh, well, we just agree to disagree, and then they leave, and but man, there's so many people that they're bothered for the rest of the day. They're bothered for the next few weeks. They're bothered because they don't have answers because you didn't tell them anything. You just asked them questions. There was a guy when I, I was a student. Um, I worked in the physics department. Again, I was a secretary. Seems to be a role that I have. Um, and it was in the summer. So there's no students. It's only, like If they were students, they worked there. And so this, this lab technician guy, he's like a grad student, a little bit older than me, wicked smart, like, like so, so smart. And he comes in, and somehow we get in this hour-long conversation, and he is like staunch atheist, and I just, I just asked him questions, and I asked him some questions, and I asked him some questions, and I was trying to get at, why, why are you atheist? Why have you come to this conclusion? He had all these thoughts, and I kept, but is that really it? And as I asked him, I got to a point where he pretty much said, I don't want to be a Christian because if I do, then I, then like, you, you know, essentially I know the Bible says I shouldn't be sleeping with my girlfriend. I don't want to give that up. And I was like, well, do you think having sex outside of marriage is wrong? He's like, no. And I was like, okay. I think he believes that. I said, did it ever feel wrong? He goes, oh, yeah, the first few times I knew I shouldn't have done it, but I, I realized that was dumb. It's like, no. <laughs> You just seared your own conscience. But man, I don't know. I don't remember his name. I still pray for him when I think about him. I'm like, maybe, just maybe, the questions I asked, this guy may know the Lord. Maybe some things were shaken and broken in his own worldview. Two more. Confront people's sins rightly. We just talked about asking questions. Look, if I'm going to go up to my brother George and I see some stupidity in his life, I'm not going to be like, George, you were just being so stupid. You need to stop sinning. You need to, I see what's on your Instagram. I see what's, you know, I, Brandon told me what you've been doing. Okay, if George was doing that, he's going to get defensive. If George wasn't doing that, I'm an idiot. I just pissed him off for no reason. He's like, you don't know anything, right? But if I come and say, hey, George, dude, I love you, man. I see all kind of this stuff, but 
is that what's going on? And I give them the dignity to share. And if you can, you know, if it's a crap answer, it's like, okay, really? Like, come on. And then it's like, you're right. I'm being dumb, right? Like, ask questions. Speak the truth in love. Most, some people like to speak the truth, and they're not very loving. Some people only like to speak love, and they're not very truthful. The Bible says to speak the truth in love. And I would just say this, have compassion without compromise. When someone has sinned, when your brother or sister sinned, and you're coming to confront them, or when you're talking to a lost person, compassion without compromise. Man, what happened to you when you were a kid? I'm so sorry. And that breaks God's heart. But that doesn't mean it's okay for you to go and hurt God and hurt other people too. I have compassion for you, but I'm not going to compromise on what's true. And the final thing, be fun. Be fun. Do you live in a way that people would even want to live? I think two of my favorite stories are Christopher and Grace, their wedding, and Jeff and Glenna, their wedding, right? These are Kyle weddings through and through, and Kyle weddings are fun. I'm sure y'all's wedding was probably similar. I don't actually know. I don't know. I didn't go to your wedding. I'm sorry. Um, I was invited. I didn't go. Bad friend. Listen, at Grace's, Christopher's wedding, I was the DJ and the officiant. I did a lot that day. But the greatest compliment, not, and it wasn't to me. It was, it was to the wedding. And it was the wedding venue, like owners. And they said, in all of our years doing this, we've never seen people have this much fun and there be no alcohol. And then at Jeff and Glenna's wedding, she had family members that said, we've never been to a wedding where people had this much fun and there was no alcohol. I mean, guys, like, are you fun? Do people want to be like you? Does your life witness that being a Christian is fun? Jesus said that how we love each other will witness to the world that we love God. And I believe that included in loving each other is that we have fun together. Now, I could go on and on with a bunch of practical examples, but I'll end there. So suffice it to say, how you live your life, how you respond to stressful situations, how you love your friends and your enemies and everyone in between, every aspect of your life will be a witness one way or another to Jesus. And every aspect of your life will either bring people closer to Jesus and farther from selfishness or bring people farther from Jesus and closer to their own sin. So will you be a troubler of God's own people or will you trouble the world? Now, look, I know there are some people in this room that are like, I just don't like the troublemaker term. Like, I mean, is there something else like we could say? I mean, <laughs> sure, it may have connotations that you don't like, and you're like, some of y'all are like, heck yeah, I'm, I'm, tr- I'm already a troublemaker. I'm, I could do this for Jesus, you know, and some of y'all are like, I just don't like that. It just does it feels gross, you know, and Look, this is, we got to get over that. Like, this is what the text is saying. And so, this crazy, look, the story goes on. They have this confrontation, and, and it's, it's, you have to read this story. It's bonkers. Elijah's like, all right, bet. You and me, we're going to have a, a God battle. The God of Israel versus your, your, your false gods. And we're going to prove which one is real. And so, they, like, set up these altars on the mountain, and, and Ahab brings 900 prophets false god prop like 900 dudes and they can't do anything at one point elijah even says like maybe your god is on the toilet like like he's mocking them and they spend all day they start cutting themselves like they cannot get their gods to show up and then elijah sets up his little tent and he says or his wood he says pour water on it and it's like okay pour it again okay pour it a third time i mean there's like water filled up around this wood this wood is soaking wet and then he calls on god and it says fire rains from heaven, and, whoosh, and the whole thing catches on fire. And then the most beautiful thing in verse 39, it says all of the people there, not the, not the false prophets, not Ahab, but it says all the Israelites there, they cried out, the Lord, he is God, the Lord, he is God. Elijah was a troublemaker. He troubled the sins of the people, and he challenged them to come back to God. And they did. They came back. They responded. And do you know who was a greater troublemaker than Elijah? Jesus. The answer, Jesus. 
Jesus was the greatest troubler of Israel. As a baby, literally as a baby, he was just born and he caused trouble. Herod was a king and he heard that the actual king was coming and under feigned worship, he said, I want to meet him, but he wanted to kill him. And then the Jesus flees with his, his family flees to Egypt and Herod responds by killing thousands of babies in pursuit of Jesus. He causes trouble to a wicked king who wants to hold his throne. John the Baptist, the precursor of Jesus, was called the greatest among men, the second Elijah. His literal title was the second, the, the coming Elijah. He was the forerunner of Jesus, and he pissed people off because he said, the Son of God, the spotless Lamb is coming, and the world will see that it is in sin when they see him. He angered the religious elite. He troubled their power system. It's actually interesting, when you read John chapter 3, it seems like the Pharisees like him at first. And then very quickly, they cannot stand him, and they're trying to kill him. He troubled them because he, in their eyes, went against their power system. He called sinners to repent. So many people love to be like, oh, Jesus loved sinners. And he did love sinners. Like He ate at the table with tax collectors and prostitutes, and look at how he just loves us, and he does. But guys, in that story, the Pharisees come up and they're like, how dare you eat with these sinners? Do you, you see the people you're with? And then he says, hey, look, people that are healthy don't need a doctor, but sick people, they need a doctor. Guys, all the sinners are like sitting right there. He just called them sick in front of everyone else. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's not very nice. It's like, yeah, these sickos over here actually need me. <laughs> I mean, they're spiritually, but... But what does that do? They're like, yes, we do. And then they got right with God. We see prostitutes and tax collectors and sinners get right with God, and they follow him and the Pharisees down. He caused trouble. He said he came to bring a sword. If that's not trouble, I don't know what is. But all of this, all of this conviction, all of this challenge, all of this change, all of this trouble that Jesus brought, all of it was in order to make a way for our salvation. Can I tell you that the kindest thing Jesus ever did was to reveal our sin to us? The kindest thing Jesus ever did was to reveal our sin to us. Okay, that sounds funny, but this is what I mean. It was that our hearts, that we would actually see that our sin had separated us from God. And so he reveals it to us to draw us to him. To, and then to realize, man, I can't actually fix this. But he can. Jesus caused the greatest trouble the world has ever known by living a sinless life and thereby witnessing and revealing that everyone else didn't live like him. But it wasn't to make us feel bad and to stay there. It was to bring us closer to him. And then he did what was necessary to save us by going to a cross, dying, and raising from the dead. And if that is not, <laughs> sorry, if he has been that kind and that good and that loving to us, why would we not? want to be witnesses well to him. 2 Corinthians 5.20 says that we are Christ's ambassadors. This is where we get our name Chi Alpha. We are Christ's ambassadors. And what is an ambassador supposed to do? They're supposed to go anywhere and everywhere that they're asked, and they're supposed to represent their king, their country. We are called to be ambassadors. Wherever we go, whoever we are with, whatever we are doing, we represent Jesus. We are witnesses to Jesus, and if we're going to represent him in our lives, if we're going to represent him well, then we want to be like him, right? He caused trouble everywhere he went, but lives were changed. And my hope is that we would cause trouble everywhere we go, but it would be because lives are being changed. People are laying down their sin, they're giving up their selfishness, and they're coming to God. Yes, it may feel bad for a little bit. Yes, it may cause trouble in their heart but they're getting right with God. You are a witness one way or another. Will you be a troubler to God's people or will you be a troubler to the world? The band can go ahead and come up. And as the band comes up, I thought you were, oh, you are getting up. Sorry. I thought Brandon was getting up. I was like, he's not in the band. <laughs> uh, as the band comes up, I want us to respond in a very simple way, okay? Um, I just want us to answer one question tonight. All right? And it's this. What is one way I can live differently this week to let my life be a witness? What is one way I can live differently this week
to let my life be a witness. What I want is uh, just, yeah, I mean, as we're worshiping, as we're singing, even if it's just before, before you stand up and you want to write down, what is one way that I will live different this week, right? Here's some ideas. Go to Booth. We, you know, if you're in the Discord, you see it. Go out there. Whether you have the answers or not, learn. Go out there. Say, look, I'm going to put myself out there for Jesus. Go and do these, these two-by-two evangelism where you go on campus and you, and you do something radical that's uncomfortable. Go and pray for someone. Say, hey, look, could I pray for you? I don't know you. Or could I pray for you? I know you, but I know you don't know God. Talk to one person every day about what you read in the Bible that day. Look, I don't, maybe you don't, maybe you're just kind of summarizing. Maybe you're not that good at talking, but you're, look, I'm going to talk, I'm going to talk to someone about what God is doing in my life. Read your Bible in the middle of campus. That's, sometimes that's scary, but like crack it open right out there in the middle of the most busy part of the day. The amount of people we've had to walk up and be like, hey, you guys are Christians? It's like, yes. <laughs> like, let your life be a witness. Share your testimony with your roommate. Talk about what God did in your life. If you've got a brother or sister that's living stupidly, call them out. Say, look, I love you. I'm going to do this the right way, but I love you. you. Don't live this way. Confess and ask for forgiveness. I mean, there might be people that you're like, look, I know I've wronged them, and I'm going to go say sorry, and I'm not going to make any excuses. Share a devotional time at small groups. Say, hey, ask your small group leader, look, I'd love to share something, what God is doing and it's a little bit scary. I know we're all, we all, we're all here, and this is a safe place, but it's still a little scary. I want to do this. Take a step. Do something different. And so what I want us to do is we're going to write this down. We're going to commit it to the Lord. And then when I come, up, come back at the end, before we leave, you're just going to take a second, a few seconds, okay? It's not some big, long thing, but with your small group or someone that you came with, hey, look, this is what I'm going to do. And I want you to know right? I'm going to do this. This is how I'm going to do, live differently this week. And so if we do this, man, our campus is going to look different. And, and you don't have to wait till the songs are over either. Look, like if God is putting something on your heart and you're like, I'm going to go pray. I'm going to go up to the altar. I'm going to, I'm going to do something that's different. Or, or like for real, if God is like, hey, you, you, you need to make something right. I'd rather you go in the hallway and make a phone call than sing a bunch of songs. For real, like if you need to go and make it right and, and that's a witness to what Jesus has done in your life, then go in the, the hallway and make a phone call and say, hey, mom, I'm really sorry. Hey, Sally from five years ago in high school, I'm really sorry. That was mean and wrong and I shouldn't have done that. And I love Jesus now. And I recognize that what I did was wrong. I'm sorry. You know, and I mean, for real, like if that is what it takes, do that. Let your life be a witness tonight, this week, and for as long as you live.